So I want you to think about that person in your life that you would say that person is a person of character. Do you know what I mean? Like that person is unwavering in staying with what is true. They're, it doesn't matter what culture does. doesn't matter what their friends say. They are totally unwavering. This is a person of character. Maybe it's a grandma, a grandpa. Maybe it's a mentor that you've had, a small group leader. But do you have that person in your mind? Like that person's always a person in it that just kind of gives that someone that you're striving towards. You're like, I kind of like what I see in them. And so I kind of try to reflect it because of the character that they have. Now, when I read through scripture in the Old Testament, one of the people that I love to read about is David. And Dave, I know David had some mess ups too. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But David, I love his very first story. I think that as a pastor, when I bring up David, most people's first response is David and Goliath, you know, that first story. And so when he fought Goliath, he was just a little shepherd boy, wasn't he? He was a shepherd boy fighting this mountain of a man, Goliath. And I love the conversation that he had with Saul right before he fought Goliath. Saul goes to him and he's like, David, what makes you think that you can fight this giant? Here's what he says, 1 Samuel 17, verse 34 through 36. He says, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. So he says, hey, I, I know it is. I was a little shepherd boy. Like I was a, a nothingness. I was just a shepherd. And then he says, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. And I read that, and I'm like, whoa, come on, David. You know, I mean, like, let's bring it, buddy. You know, because, like, he's a little guy, and he's just, man, he, he's just bringing it, right? Have you, ever, have you ever seen a lion or a bear, though? Like, I mean, not behind a glass cage, but, like, Detroit Zoo doesn't count. I mean, like, in the wild, like, you're walking, and then there's a bear, and you're like, you could eat me, you know? And so, like, that encounter, or a lion in Africa, right? Some of you know that feeling. Like, you're in Africa, and you see that thing, and you're like, I'm in the Jeep, so hopefully I can get away, but maybe I can't, because you can pounce pretty quick. And I could, all right, that's David. David has not seen them behind a glass cage. He's seen them right there. Now, have you considered ever really the position of David. David is so young that when Samuel shows up, this party to find the next king, David wasn't even invited to that party, was he? Like, you're so young, you're so insignificant, we're not even going to invite you in. And then have you ever considered what the inheritance would be from the father? You see, David was down on the pecking order, so when the father dies, the inheritance would go to the next oldest son, and then so on and so forth, it just keeps going down. No, the inheritance, most of it was the flock itself. That was the inheritance. So think about this. David is sitting there. He's on watch. He's guarding his dad's money, right? His dad, he's guarding his dad's property, which will then become his brother's money, his brother's property. And it's not going to get to David, right? It's not going to become his property. It has no financial bearing on him. And a lion comes along, a bear comes along. What did he do? He literally has to take it out of the mouth of the bear, out of the mouth of the, would you do that for something that you're not even going to get any kind of bonus for? Like just, I'm going to, I don't know. I'm looking at it going, I don't, I don't know. Like I might, I might go, dad, I'm really sorry. It's a big lion. You know, it just won though. You only lost one sheep. So why did David do that? David had this uncompromising character because he promised his father that's what he would do. He promised God 
That's what he would do. Now, David had some issues. We'll talk about one of them in a second. David had some issues throughout his lifetime, but in this particular instance, he was unwavering in his character. And I say that just to say that in our church today, in, in this church today, we need more women and men of uncompromising character. I think the, I think the problem is, though, we had this, this Thyatira kind of a problem, Right? Meaning this problem of compromise. It brings us to our big idea today. Our big idea is that compromise kills the church. Compromise kills the church. Now, every week I like us to kind of wrestle with a question. Have you noticed that? I'm like, here's a question I want, you to, I want you to wrestle with. Here's why I do that. At least for me. As I wrestle with questions and figure out the answers to those questions, it tells me how to better live out the calling of Jesus in my life. Because I just don't want to be a hearer of the word. I want to be a doer of the word. Right, I want to live out what the gospel's calling me to. So here's the question. How does the church, when I say the church, I mean, I mean you, right? And I mean me. I don't mean the building. I don't, the building can't do anything. The building's a building, right? That's not the church. You're the church. I'm the church. Us together, we are the church. How does the church keep from compromise? How do we not live lives of compromise. So if you're joining us for the first time, we're in this sermon series called Drift, where we're talking about what it means to drift away from the calling of Jesus on our lives. We started the series with chapter one of Revelation, which was this beautiful, powerful picture of Jesus and all of his glory. And if you missed it, go back and listen to it because it, it was just incredible pouring through the word week one. And then we started to look at chapters two and three. In chapters two and three of the book of Revelation, Jesus addresses seven churches in Asia Minor. Uh, Asia Minor is Turkey today, right? And so Jesus is addressing these seven churches. Today we're going to be looking at church number four. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter two, verses 18 through 29. Revelation chapter two, verses 18 through 29. So, so far in Revelation, we started in chapter two with Ephesus. Ephesus was this church that abandoned their first love, and then we moved to Smyrna. Smyrna was a church that was going through trials and tribulations, right? They were going through some, through some serious trials. They were encouraged to stay the course. Last week, we looked at Pergamum. Pergamum was encouraged to repent because of the false teaching that existed in the church. And then today, we're going to be in church number four, Thyatira. Now, Thyatira is important for a few reasons. One, it was a regional hub to the Asian slave trade. And then it was also the home to many trade guilds. A trade guild would be like a, a social club for people in the trades. It would be a, like a religious institution almost, like a union of sorts for the trades because the wool and textile trades were so important to this community. Not only that, but the color purple was important because this is where the color purple was made was Thyatira. And so when you look at Acts 16, this is so cool. Paul encounters a woman. This woman that is actually really important to us because if you take the church in America today, the church in America came from the church in Europe. In the church in Europe, we actually can follow in scripture and go all the way back to a single convert. Isn't that pretty cool? Like we can go back to single convert. Acts 16 says that Paul encountered this woman named Lydia who was a seller of purple, and she was from Thyatira. Isn't that kind of cool? So there you go. So this woman with the color purple, 
she became the very first convert in Europe, and then the story continues. So let's go to the Bible, and we're going to look at what keeps us from compromising. The first thing that we're going to see is we need to examine our works. Examine our works. Look down at your Bible, verse 18. Jesus, through John, says this. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. So the first thing we see in verse 18 is Jesus' title as the Son of God. This is the only time, this is it, the only time in the book of Revelation that that title is used. So in your Bible, I would circle that and draw attention to it because the only time you're going to find that phrase um, in the book of Revelation. And then it continues and pulls almost word for word from chapter 1, this description. Eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. You see, this declares Jesus as someone with divine vision and insight and then the feet as well as permanence and trustworthiness. And then verse 19 is so good. Look what it says. Jesus says, I know your works, your love and faith and service, patient endurance that your latter works exceed the first, which means they're getting praise, they're getting encouragement for this. Jesus is saying, hey, when you first became a follower of Jesus, you were on fire. Mike, you were, you were so excited, but it just keeps getting better. You continue to grow more and more faithful, like well done, my good and faithful servant. Like that's where this, isn't that what we want? Church, you don't want in 20 years to sit there like a bump on a log and someone to say, well, you really haven't grown at all. Like you haven't, right? You're not getting better with age. Cheese does that. We don't do that, right? We're not getting better as we get better with age unless we're growing in our faith. This is where we should be growing in our faith. Divine vision and insight. Eyes like a flame of fire. He sees Thyatira's good works. Do you see that? Jesus sees it, which is so encouraging and scary at the same time. Isn't it? Isn't that kind of scary? Like, because Jesus doesn't just see the good things you do. He sees the other things as well. So let me ask it this way, because maybe you're going, yeah, I get that. Do you have the courage today to look at someone? And let's say not just a someone. Let's say that someone is a brand new Christian. Would you have the courage today to look at them and say, hey, all I want you to do is just follow my example as I follow the example of Christ? Do you have the courage to do that? I want you to watch how I get angry because I'm just going to follow Christ. I want you to watch how I handle forgiveness because I'm just going to handle it like Christ. I want you to watch how I handle generosity. I'm just following Jesus. I'm going to do what Jesus does. Do you have that kind of courage? That's the kind of courage we should have, isn't it? Right? That's exactly what we should be living. Now, every year, pastors at Woodside, we have to submit goals. And we have to submit professional goals and we have to submit personal goals. So the professional goals, like what do I want to see happen with our team here at Woodside Romeo? What do I want to see happen with lay leaders here at Woodside Romeo? That's, that'd be professional goals. And then my personal goals, what do I personally want to happen? So I'm, just, I'm actually going to share one with you. One of the things I said I want to do this year is every quarter I want to take a spiritual retreat. Here's what that means if you've never done it. Here's what it means. It means I'm going to work really hard throughout the week so that for one day, 
I'm not in the church office. I go get alone. And I take my journal, I take my Bible, I take my music, and I just go and I listen to the Lord. I pray. I pray for my family. I pray for you. I pray for this church. I, um, I, I, I dream. I journal. I write. I sit. I never know until I get there exactly what's going to happen. Sometimes I do a whole lot of writing. Sometimes I do a whole lot of listening. You know, I just, I never know. And then there's one more thing I have to do. I have to examine my heart. It's always good for me to stop and just say, is my heart aligning up with the calling that Jesus has on my life, right? Is, is, is there alignment there, or, or do I see some areas where I need to clean some things up? I would encourage you to do the same thing. Like, really, just plan a spiritual retreat, and I just want to tell you, it's not going to happen unless you do it. Like, it won't just accidentally happen. It's going to happen because you're intentional with it, and you probably need, at least I needed accountability, because, like, my boss... The past two times we've talked, he's like, so Billy, what's the date for that retreat? Hey, Billy, what's the date for that retreat? And I'm like, oh, I'm getting to it. You know, I'm working on it. It's actually in two weeks. So I, I'm, I'm on it now, like it's official. But I want to encourage you to do that because the reality is Jesus is one with eyes like a flame of fire, right? He sees us. He sees the good works we do, and he sees the area that we're, miss that we're missing. And we need to stop. And we need to examine the heart. So when Jesus looks at your heart right now, as a true believer, does he see someone in you who's growing in their faith? Does he see someone in you where he would say, your works today are greater than the works when you started? What I see now, who I see now, I see someone that's more on fire than day number one. Is that what he sees in you? Because there is who we want to be, right? We want to be like Christ and all we are. And then there's where we are. And there's a gap, right? There's a gap. We haven't seen perfection face-to-face because -face we're not dead. There's a gap. And our goal should be to continually close that gap, right? And I want to make something very, 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 very clear. We, we don't close that gap to maybe earn our way to heaven. I don't, I don't want you to miss this. We don't close that gap to try to earn our way to heaven because you'll never get there on your own. You won't get there on your own. We close that gap because we already have salvation in Jesus Christ. That's why we do it. You have freedom in Christ. Do you understand that? When you place your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, it's when you recognize that on the cross, grace is Jesus on the cross taking my penalty, my punishment, and that through faith in him, I can have a right standing with God. And do you see what we get to do with the rest of our days through freedom? We get to close that gap because we get to say, Jesus, I just want to be more like you. I am saved. I am redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And so with the rest of my days, I just want to live out my life as Christ with all I do. But see, when you're examining, it brings us to point number two. It's going to force you to confront and repent of your idols. Let's look back at verse 20. Revelation 2.20, but I have this against you. So again, if we go back to what was just said, Jesus said, hey, you're doing great. In fact, you're doing better than when you first started. You're even better now. But then he moves to verse 20 and he says, but I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice immorality, to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will now throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, 
unless they repent of their works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. So Jesus says, well done on your good works. And then he goes off and he says, but there's this woman, Jezebel. And not only is she teaching things that aren't true, but she's starting to lead some in the church down the wrong path. In fact, it's a path that's even led to sexual immorality. You see, sex is good inside the confines of marriage. Anything outside of that is sin, and she's encouraging people outside of what God has planned. And so he says, you're not just tolerating her, but it's leading to compromise. You're losing your character because you're starting to compromise and, and follow, follow her ways. So culturally, Jezebel probably felt um, pretty justified in the way that she was living. She felt justified because of the Roman imperial cult. It's like postmodernism of the day, right? It, it, it's saying we're going to be able to sleep with who we want, do what we want, and these are the things we're going to do. And so she's teaching, like, this is what culture says, so we're just going to try to line ourselves with culture, and that is so dangerous. Now, notice, though, who Jesus is talking to here. He's talking to the church, isn't he? He's not talking to culture. Sometimes I'll hear people say things like, well, our culture is a Jezebel culture. Jesus isn't talking to the culture. He's talking to the church. Sometimes what we do, we try to take our calling as brothers and sisters in Christ and force it on culture. And those who aren't Christians aren't called to live as Christians, guys. Right? Those who aren't Christians aren't called to live as Christians. We are. We're supposed to hold each other accountable in what the Lord calls us to. Jesus has eyes like a flame of fire. He sees what's going on. Then when he sees what's going on, not just with Jezebel, but the whole church starting to follow her example, he, sees he's going, he says he's going to throw her into a sick bed. Do you see that? And then verse 22 and 23 says a woman's followers will be thrown into great tribulation, maybe even killed if they don't repent. We don't, we don't like that very much, do we? Right, some in this room right now, you're going, oh, it's one of the things I struggle with with church right there. Are you going to kill people who don't follow his way? Let's remember the church is the bride of Christ. The Lord's going to protect his bride. But don't miss what Jesus first said. He's been calling Jezebel to repent. He's been giving her the chance to repent. In fact, even on the day this letter is being written, I'm giving you another chance, Jezebel, to repent. I want there to be a right standing. I want you to stop doing the bad stuff you're doing and just come back under my authority, right? I want you to do what's right. But see, he's totally love. He's totally love in that he loves Jezebel even in this sin. This is not a love issue, he totally loves every single person in this room. This is not a love issue, but he's totally just, and you can't skip that. When you're talking about the Lord, you cannot skip. He is totally love and totally just at the same time. We struggle with it because we're not. We're not totally love and totally just. And so she has an opportunity to repent. The church has an opportunity to repent. That's the goal. So this church, they're known for their good works. And right in the middle of being known for the good works, Jesus says, but there's this thing, there's this faction, there's a sin issue that you have as a church. But now that you're confronted, how are you going to deal with it? I mentioned David a little bit ago, King David. Uh, well, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, um, he's been having some struggles. In fact, David had an affair with this woman. It's a woman who was married. And so what David do? He had the man killed. 
And then he lied and covered it all up, right? And so he's having this affair with a married woman, kills her husband, covers it all up. And so what we have is we have uh, Nathan come up. Nathan the prophet comes, and he confronts David in this. And he does it in a very smooth way. He says, David, I got a story for you. And he says it kind of like it's a parable. Let me tell you the story. In this story, there's this man, and you're never going to believe what he did. And uh, so just tells him basically everything David had done. But David didn't realize it was a story about him. I don't know how he missed it, but he missed it. And he gets mad. Like, he is so mad. Like, spitting mad. Like, I can't believe this would happen. The guy in your story, he deserves to die. And then Nathan with the mic drop is kind of like, um, it's you, David. You're the guy in the story. How... How do you deal with someone confronting you with areas that you've been wrong? How do you deal with that? Because I don't think that most handle it well. I, I don't. I think there's a couple ways I've seen people deal with it. Way number one is misdirection, right? Hey, here's an area that we need to talk. And you go, hey, look at that squirrel, you know, and you just, you want to misdirect and talk about anything else, you know, talk about the weather, talk about the tigers, talk, oh, you're going to talk about something else. Some people will try to spiritualize their own life and make themselves sound really, really holy and really good. And it's almost like, well, if I can talk in a way that makes me higher in the pecking order than you, then it's going to lower you. And I'm just going to make it seem like I am Jesus when I'm talking. I see that happen. Some people get angry, like mad, like defensive, like you and I were done. I'm not talking to you anymore. How dare you talk to me like that? I can't believe you would ever talk to me or challenge me like that. I just want you to see what David did. David was broken. He said, I sinned against the Lord. David wasn't a man after God's own heart because he didn't sin. He wasn't a man after God's own heart because he never did wrong. He wasn't Jesus. But what we see in David is this man that when he's confronted, he is broken before the Lord. He repents and he turns from it. So how do you respond? How do you respond when you see that challenge? Tim Keller is a kind of a famous pastor. He wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods. And in it, he says this. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give, anything that you seek to give you, what only God can give. And so my question back to you then is, what's the idol in your life? You know, maybe it's your kids. And you're placing your kids above the Lord. Maybe it's your dreams, like I have dreams, I'm kind of a creative type, and I like to dream, and your dreams all of a sudden get placed above God. Maybe it's ministry, I'm going to place church and ministry above God, and you start to elevate that above the Lord. Where are the idols in your life? Because my encouragement to you is this, guys, we have today. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We don't know that we get another chance, but here we are, right here right now, and God is so good. He's given us a chance to align our ways with his and to repent of any idols that we might have in our own lives. How do we keep from compromising? The last point is you embrace your witness. Embrace your witness. Let's look down at verse 24. Verse 24 says, but to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you, I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. As when 
earthen pots are broken into pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the last thing we see is we need to embrace our witness. I love this. Because maybe like me, you've been in the classroom as a kid, and like there were two people messing around, and the teacher lectures the whole class. You ever been there? Or like you have a sibling, brother, sister, they're messing around. The parents lecture both of you, or all three of you, or the whole posse of you, however many there are in your family, right? And, and you all get it, even though you're like, I didn't actually do anything wrong. Sometimes the pastor, like you're thinking, yeah, no, I'm good. I haven't followed the Jezebel. I'm good, pastor. And yet the pastor's still getting on you. And you're like, but I'm good in that area. Like, I really, I'm not doing that, you know? And, and yet, so here what we have is so good in verse 24. It says, okay, so to those of you who have not been chasing after Jezebel, for those of you who have not practiced the sexual morality, he says, hey, just keep doing what you're doing. Isn't that good? And it's not even like because they're slacking, I'm going to pile on a couple of other things. In fact, it says the opposite, doesn't it? It says, I'm not going to add any other burden to you. Just keep doing what you're doing. Follow the Lord. Love the Lord. Continue to grow in your good works. Continue that journey. Then in verse 26 and 27, we see it really pointing to Psalm 2 is what it's doing. Psalm 2, 8 and 9 says, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth, your possession, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This psalm, back to the first century BC, was viewed as messianic in nature, meaning Psalm 2 was pointing toward the Messiah. Psalm 2 was pointing to the Savior. Psalm 2 was pointing to Jesus. And here we see Jesus in Revelation 2 using these exact words. Now, that word rule is important. In fact, I would circle that in my Bible. Because the literal word means to shepherd. My friends, Jesus is the good shepherd, isn't he? And how does he rule us? He rules us with kindness, with faithfulness. We're supposed to be seeking the good as we rule. And so another way to think about that is when we look at the nations to our north or our south or our east or our west, we have a responsibility as Christians, as Christians to shepherd, to approach those nations with kindness and faithfulness seeking their good. In just over five weeks, there's a group of about 16 of us who are scheduled to get on an airplane and fly to Ecuador. Today, following the third service, we have uh, our meeting just as we're continuing to prepare. And this is the posture that we have to go in with. We have to go with a posture saying we're going with a posture being kind and gentle and seeking your good. So the church in Thyatira was very Roman, it was very pagan. It was very much like the world we live in today, wasn't it? And yet Jesus says there's authority that's given. That word authority is the same exact word used in Matthew 28 where he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. So how are we doing with that? Do we embrace our witness? Do we embrace what it means to make disciples? Do we embrace it? Well, to embrace it, we have to have purity, don't we? To embrace it, we have to have character. Character means even when no one's looking. So I want to finish with a quick story. It's probably a story that you've uh, heard before. If you haven't, I just heard it, but I love it. I think it applies so well here. Uh, there was a group of middle school girls. Anyone have middle school girls or you are a middle school girl? 
raise of hands. Okay, some, some. I don't understand middle school girls because I've only ever had boys. Uh, so I get boys. Girls are different. But in this story, the girls were putting on their chapstick, right? Putting on the chapstick. And after, after Jim, they were going in the locker room and they were kissing on them. I don't know why they were kissing on the mirror. But they were kissing on the mirror, and they were leaving the, these lip marks all over the mirror. So the janitor would come in and try to blue spray it, and it would just smear, making a mess, and just taking so much extra time. And finally, the janitor's like, after like a couple weeks, I've got to go talk to the principal about this. So he goes into the principal's office. And he's like, ma'am, I need to talk to you. Those girls are just kissing up that mirror, you know? They're just putting their lip marks all over it with their chapstick, and it's taking a lot. We got, ma'am, we got to figure this out. And the principal says, oh, that's what they're doing, huh? And they, she comes up with a plan. And she tells them, here's our secret plan. Here's what we're going to do. And the janitor kind of smiles. He goes, yeah, this is going to work. It's going to be good. So the next day, like right after gym, they wait, and you know, they're like, how much time does it take to get, it? and now they're going to be at the mirrors, and so she knocks and walks in. The girls jump like bullfrogs, you know, they just jump up, their eyes are great, like they, they're busted, and they know they're busted, right? And so the principal walks in, janitor right behind her, and she goes, ladies, how you doing? You know, good to see, didn't scream at them, didn't, didn't talk mean to them, didn't do any of that. And she goes, hey, I just wanted you to know something. I love you guys. And I just, I just wanted you to know something. This is important information. Sometimes we run out of that blue spray, you know, that you clean the windows with. Sometimes we run out of it. I just wanted you to see how we clean up the mirrors around here when we run out of blue spray. And so the janitor walks over with the, with the mop, sticks it down the toilet bowl, and swirls it around real good. <laughs> Takes it out, looks at the mop, gets it down better, get down in there, you know, ripe it around on the sides. And then rings it out and then walks over to the mirror and cleans that mirror off. And then takes out a squeegee and makes it look brand new again. Steps back and the principal goes, all right, well, now you know, have a great day, and walks out. No more kiss marks on the mirror. You know, that ended it. So um, I just wonder if the church of Thyatira had looked at Jezebel and looked at the teachings and the practices of Jezebel as covered in sewage water, would it have made a difference? I, you know, it's easy to look 2,000 years ago and say, well, probably they should. What if we just said those idols that you've already identified in your own heart, those things that you're placing above the Lord, what if today you said that thing, those things, those issues, what if today you could view them the way the Lord views them, the way he views sin, totally covered in sewage water? Would it make it a little bit easier to repent of it? to turn from the nastiness of our life, to turn towards a loving, holy, and awesome Father. The beautiful news is we have a gift of life today. My friends, we're here. We have an opportunity to continue to live out our works on our journey to see the Father. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity at life, for this high calling we have in Scripture. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful story where we read it how the goal was restoration all along. You gave Jezebel chance after chance. Lord, you've given us chance after chance after chance. I just pray for a continued alignment of hearts this morning, our hearts with yours. Now, Lord, we don't sit here expecting you to get on board with our plans or our desires. But instead, we turn to you. So, Lord, I pray for you to heal friendships like only you can, for you to heal marriages like only you can for sons and daughters, mothers, fathers to have healed relationships like never before. Lord, for that 
thing that we keep placing above you, whether it's work, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's our dreams, whether it's our desires, that we turn from the sinful idols in our life and turn to you. Lord, we thank you and praise you that the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we close our morning and worship together.